Last week we talked about and discussed the common good, the most good for all people. In the absence of a theology or understanding of the common good, we can tend to live our lives in isolation with limited recognition of our impact on other people. What may be good for me may not be good for you, especially when it comes at the cost of someone else's dignity and humanity. The common good is about shifting our thinking and ways of living such that we reconsider our understanding of us and them and begin to consider that they may be us. In order to do this, we often need to address our bias and possibly even go through a process of unlearning and relearning. We also talked last week about how we need a counter-narrative. We need a new way of living, of learning and loving, which is essentially Jesus' radical call for our lives. And so one of the, the many counter-narratives of Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 5 in a section of text that we know as the Beatitudes. The term Beatitudes was given to this section of text because uh, it comes from a Latin word which means happiness. It means uh, to be envied or desired to be blessed. And each sentence and thought in this text begins with the word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the meek. Each beatitude also follows the pattern of condition and result. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit is the condition, the condition of being poor in spirit, the condition of being meek, the condition of being hungry, the condition of mourning, of grieving. And then each thought concludes with a result, inheriting the earth, being comforted, being filled now, something that can be overlooked in the text is that the thoughts are paired. Hebrew poetry uses rhyming ideas rather than rhyming words, and so buried within the literal Greek text are Hebrew idioms or word groupings that essentially bring the ideas together. And so the eight Beatitudes essentially become four. And so the, the paired Beatitudes that we're going to discuss today are blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The consistent opening word, blessed, suggests that this counter-narrative is all very happy and very heartwarming and very nice and warm and fuzzy, except what is being communicated is almost the antithesis of what we often consider the word happy to mean. Happiness is often reduced to being a product of serotonin, the, the chemical in our body that gives us, us a sense of well-being. Happiness is often reduced to this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling, to a sense of comfort, to, uh, for the kids' movie lovers out there, to hakuna matata, no worries for the rest of your days. Except Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy and to be envied are those whose condition is a poverty of spirit, those who are spiritually lacking. The question needs to be asked, how is lack to be something that we strive for? How is lack to be something that, that causes happiness or something that causes us to be blessed. 
isn't it the opposite? Our, our pursuit of happiness is, is often born out of our lack. Our pursuit of happiness and the lack in our lives is often the driver for, for what it is that we do. Peter Rollins talks about our constant pursuit of trying to fill the lack in our life. The inherent danger in this is that through our poverty of spirit, through our lack, that we place our lack on an object or a person in the hope and belief that if I just have that thing, if I just have that relationship, if I can just achieve this, then then I'll be complete, then I'll have meaning in my life. And so we pursue that object or that person and sometimes it goes to extremes. Sometimes people will do anything to get that, to try and cover and fill that lack in our life. And so poverty of spirit, lack, can be at the heart of greed and the heart of violence and the heart of wars. It's it's at the heart of consumerism. If I just have that thing or many things, then somehow my life will be complete. And yet often, the more things we have, the more empty our lives can seem. And so I'd suggest that in and of itself, lack or being poor in spirit can be more a curse than a blessing. Which is why it's helpful and important to understand poverty of spirit in the context of its pairing, in the context of being meek. Now, meek, even though it rhymes with this word, doesn't mean weak. Meek is about humbleness. It's about gentleness. And so the rhyming idea is being meek and poor in spirit are actually complementary. Blessed are the meek and poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually humble. So what might that look like in our lives? What might spiritual humility look like in our lives? Think about the condition. Think about the posture that you bring to conversation, that you bring to community. For me, what, what is the posture that I bring to conversation and community? Is it a posture in which I have all the answers or I present as though I do? Is it one where I at least appear to have it all together, to have everything lined up? Alternatively, is it one in which I'm completely bereft and completely lacking and I just pour out my problems on everyone? Or is it a counter-narrative, a posture of humility, whereby out of my lack I begin to recognise that I can be better in relationship, I can be better in community, that in order to be a blessing I need to frame my lack with meekness and with humility. For me, humility begins with a willingness to be vulnerable. But it's more than that, because in my vulnerability, I can still make it all about me. I can use my vulnerability to to still make myself the center of attention. Humility is a condition of understanding that I don't have all the answers, that I'm increasingly willing to embrace uncertainty, that I'm no better than anyone else, but that together and in community, I can be better than I can be on my own. Essentially, that we are better together. And and humility is progressive. It's not something we suddenly achieve. I would hope that I'm increasingly humble, not necessarily in each and every moment, but that I'm increasingly humble as time 
an experience impacts and engages with and through my life. I think we also need to be careful not to see community as the ultimate solution for our lack, rather as an opportunity to humbly explore and navigate our lack and the uncertainty of our lives. Community is not the answer to everything, but it can actually bring a discipline to our lives. Not a discipline that's about punishment, but a discipline that's about formation and shaping and learning. Meekness and humility amidst community offers us opportunities. It offers us uh, the discipline of praying before we act. It offers us the discipline of receiving before we give, of hearing before we speak, of embracing our own lack before we endeavour to liberate others. Charles Ringmer talks about learning to drink from our own wells before we attempt to carry water to others. It offers us the discipline of being still, being still in order to hear and respond deliberately and meaningfully. Uh, I think in the busyness of our lives and the hyper-connected world that we live in, the, the opportunities for stillness, especially out of my own life and my own experience, are, are all too rare. It's all too rare. But if we're open to it, I actually think and believe that community can bring stillness to our lives. I actually have come increasingly to realize that that my kids, as many as I have, and, and my family can bring me stillness. And I'm not just talking about when they're asleep, although, you know, that certainly does bring stillness to my life. I'm not just talking about when I lock myself in the bathroom, although I have been known to do that, but amidst community and amidst family and amidst the day-to-day, I can find stillness. Jaira, our three-year-old's greatest joy is to get on his trike and to just go down the street to go on adventures. Jemima, our seven-year-old, her greatest joy is in creative expression. Mina, her greatest joy is in sharing ideas and what she's been reading or experiencing. And so when I'm willing to engage each of them completely in those moments, to, to put down my phone, to push away technology, to to just be present, to just follow Jaira as he takes me through the streets, to to engage in the new worlds that Jemima is creating, to to listen and truly hear what Mina is is learning and grappling with and processing, to to help Eli, to help Eli build something, to discuss art and philosophy with Pia, to to play backgammon with Giuseppe, to explore business ideas with Eleni, to wrestle with theology and and existentialism with Jackson, to just sit and pray and drink a cup of tea with Lorraine, to just be present with her. It is then that I am still. It is then that I am present. And it's here that I think lies the potential in the lack, in being poor in spirit, when I'm just willing to be in and humbly embrace the moment in the midst of community. 
It's in these moments that I also find that I am most likely to experience the result, to to experience the kingdom of heaven and to understand what it might mean to inherit the earth. That I understand that life is not just about waiting for some ethereal, bodiless eternity. Instead, it's about messy experience. It's about mystery. It's about relationship, relationship with God, relationship with ourselves, relationship with each other and creation. It's about exploring and embracing and and in growing in and through these relationships where, where God is in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. Here in the Beatitudes, I think we find Jesus' counter-narrative of happiness. He presents a depth and a complexity and an uncertainty to happiness that, that more authentically reflects the depth and the complexity, complexity and uncertainty of our lives and our experiences. He, he presents a proposition that happiness might be about more than a chemical sense of well-being or, or getting everything we think we want. What does happiness mean to you? What what are your personal indicators of happiness? My personal indicators of happiness increasingly are things and questions more than anything. Questions like, am I growing? Am I learning? Am I contributing? Am I positively impacting other people's lives? Am, Am I finding time and space for reflection? Am I being authentic? As I go about living and being, is is my posture one of humility? Augustine of Hippo, a 5th century bishop and theologian, uh, wrote this. Uh, it's, it's a great quote about humility. He said, The way to Christ is first through humility, second through humility, third through humility. If humility does not proceed and accompany and follow every good work we do, if it is not before us to focus on it, if it is not beside us to lean upon, if it is not behind us to fence us in, pride will wrench from our hand any good deed we do at the very moment we do it. We need to bring humility to the communities that we're in. And the longing for community is in all of us, the, the, the longing to love, the longing to be loved. But community needs to exist for something bigger and, and beyond us, beyond this, beyond often what I think it is that we can kind of conceive or grapple with. It. If, if it's not, if it's not bigger than the limits that we place on community, then I think it can become self-serving. I think it can become suffocating. Community increasingly needs to be a place of both exploration and transformation, where we carry our poverty of spirit with a posture of humility, and we increasingly discover and experience the kingdom of heaven with a heart to nurture and bless the earth and the communities that that we live and reside in. Blessed are the meek and poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and they shall inherit the earth. 
May it be so. May it be so. Three questions. Three questions that we're going to discuss and kind of throw around and spark conversation with. The first question is, what does happiness mean to you? What are your indicators of happiness? Secondly, how do you respond to lack in your life? Would that change through a posture of humility? And thirdly, where and how do you find stillness? Is that important? And why? Why?